We're at the symphony. We're at Heinz Hall for the Performing Arts. I'm Jim Cunningham, and it is a joy to have Maestro and our soloist, Maestro Peter Unjun and Alina Abragimova. Do I have it correct? Yes? Yeah. Prokofiev this weekend, correct? Absolutely. First concerto. How about that? Have the two of you worked together on this before? We've never worked on anything before. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I just met her... Uh, this more about two hours ago. Yeah, we didn't know we were going to either until <laughs> until about yesterday. So <laughs> if she'd known I was going to conduct, she probably wouldn't have turned up. But <laughs> Absolutely not true. <laughs> well, we are delighted to have you back with us once again on fairly short notice. Yes, Mr. Maestro Ticciati was not able to make it due to complications of one kind or another. Yeah, some some kind of visa issue. So I was just sitting at home on Tuesday morning, and and I got an email saying. Uh, that there might be an issue uh, with with Robin coming, uh, and and they said this is the program. Um, could you fly in tonight and rehearse tomorrow morning? So I said, sure. Why not? <laughs> and you've got uh, the same program. You didn't have to mess with it. You, you're keeping Vaughn Williams and Rachmaninoff as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the Vaughn Williams Thomas Tallis fantasy is one of my favorite pieces in the whole world. I've, I've probably conducted it. I don't know. 50 or 60 times, and I also love the Rachmaninoff's Third Symphony, which is actually not c conducted all that often, and not, not every conductor has it in their repertoire, so it, it, it felt like this was my one free week out of like nine in a row uh, where I'm not, not free, so I, it felt like the, the stars were aligned. And the Vaughan Williams you did in Toronto for the recording, yes? And I'm doing it in Toronto next week, actually, yes. That, that was quite a while ago. You're right, though. We did, we did make a recording of it before we took it on tour to Europe. But it was an award winner. It won the Canadian Grammy, the Juno Award, and nominated oh, for Oh, well, that was, that was not this piece, actually. I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about a video. I was trying to remember what was yeah, on that recording. That, that was the, the oboe concerto, the piano concerto, Floss Campi, and the serenade to music. That's a, that's a really beautiful, four gorgeous pieces, yeah. Von Williams, you love. Well, Vaughan Williams went to a school called Charterhouse in England, and he was born in 1872. And I was at school there in 1972, but it also happened that the school had moved to a new location in 1872. So at the 100th anniversary of the school was also the 100th anniversary of Vaughan Williams. So we, we had no classes whatsoever. Anybody, everybody just played Vaughan Williams all year long. It, that's what it felt like. I mean, operas and big symphonies and everything, including the Talis Fantasy and the Serenade to Music. Anyway, I've always, of course, loved Vaughan Williams. The Lark Ascending was one of my favorite pieces and my, my mother's very favorite piece in, in the whole world. Anything for you with Vaughan Williams? Do you ever uh, look at his music? Is there something that you've done? Uh, yes, I play the Lark Ascending, and I um, I studied at the Hugh Dominion School for strings only. So, <laughs> so yeah, this piece is, I, I know very well, yeah. Well, let's talk about Prokofiev. Prokofiev's first concerto. And what was the year? Right around the Russian Revolution, if I remember correctly. I think he was writing uh, 1917. It was a big productive year for him. Uh, yes, absolutely. And and uh, I think it's such a unique concerto. This It's so different from the second and it's uh, it's beautifully shaped and it's really like a fairy tale. It's it's I, I don't know. It's it's quite uh, it's it's not a long work at all. I don't know how. Twenty two minutes or something. something. I mean, it's kind of ethereal, isn't it? Ethereal. A lot of it. I mean, the, the, even the scherzo, which is very brilliant, 
there's a feeling of being untouchable. Mm. Like you can't, you can never really hold on to this music. It's so beautiful, but it, it seems to come from another sphere and belong in another sphere. And yet it speaks so powerfully and she plays it amazingly. Wow. Other special features that you think the audience might not immediately realize are extraordinary for you as a soloist, challenges, uh, things that you think are interesting to share? Uh, I think just already from the very first notes, I think we, the, the audience and, and us, we, we're all entering in such a magical world, which we don't really leave, you know, it's it's a world of, I don't know, the little elves and... and right. uh, dreams, actually. Dreams it, and doesn't he even mark the first phrase, soñando? Yes, yeah, right, yeah, dreamily, you know. Uh, and there's another lovely Italian word he uses, which is narrante. At a certain point, he says, play this as you're telling a story, you know, narrate this, which is something that she does so, so beautifully. That's a... That's a that's a very uh, very rare quality I think in, in a violinist who can actually make it sound like they're speaking words. That's a, I, I, I suspect you're a fan of Oistrakh. Of course, yeah. yes. I mean, I, you know, Oistrakh is the reason that I played the violin basically when I was a kid, and and he was. I always felt with him, and I feel very much with uh, Alina that 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 they can they can speak to you through the instrument, and that's that. This particular concerto requires that absolutely. Now, do you think, as a string player yourself, you have more sympathy for the soloist when it's a violinist? I mean, this was your instrument, after all. I'm, I'm sure that non, non-violinists can accompany it wonderfully, too, but it, it does help when you know, you've known the piece you know, from both sides and for, for so many years as well. I mean, uh, and I also love, you know, I love to hear new ideas uh, or spontaneous ideas. So I, I try not to sit stuck in my way, like, this is how I would play it, therefore that has to be how it's going to go. I'm much more interested in getting inside another person's head, which is what you do when you accompany a concerto, because you, you have to be in front of the solo, right? You have to dictate what's going to happen at the next note, so you have to predict what the soloist is thinking in order to lead the orchestra and bring everything together. But Alina is also extremely, she's a wonderful listener, and so she, uh, she never steps on your toes, right? <laughs> which is, you know, which is very comforting because if you if you get it slightly wrong, uh, you know you'll be forgiven. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share about the Prokofiev? Um, Maybe the form is unusual. The form is unusual. Yeah, it's the uh, how it, it's in a way an arch, you know. So so we enter this magical world and then we leave it in the same place. It's almost like, like as you say, a dream. Like it's, you're not quite sure if this really happened. You know, you, you wake up and you, you think, well, was this really real? Was this, what, what was it, you know? Um, and it's, it's one of my absolute favorite pieces. I, I learned it a long time ago now and, and it's always wonderful to come to and it always feels natural and uh, it always works. I think it works kind of in any program for me. Mm. Right. Although it's absolutely beautiful in this program because yeah, it yeah. comes out of the Vaughan Williams, which is so impassioned, this incredible rich string playing. And then then you go into this other world, completely sublime world. And what's unusual about the form, what I was referring to, is that the first movement is kind of slow. It has some faster passages in it. And the middle movement is a scherzo movement, so it's kind of the brilliant movement. And then you get the final movement is not a finale. It's, it's actually a very slow, ethereal kind of fairy tale, a, a new one, and it ends exactly the same way that the first movement ended, so it, it waves us goodbye in the most elegant way. 
Elena, we spoke just a couple of days before what was to have been your appearance here. Two, 2020, was it three years it ago? Exactly I can't believe it. Yes, that's right. We spoke and we were all looking forward to the concert and we rehearsed and did all kinds of pre-concert events. And then, and then there was this... Uh, yeah, this we pandemic. made it through. Somehow we, it we survived. Yeah, somehow, We've all yeah. come out on the other side. And, and it seems to be heading in the right direction. Sometimes slowly we're still worried. Some people still masks and audiences are slow to come back in some, some ways. But things are moving, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's very optimistic. And I think in, in all cases, whichever side of the stage you are, we're, we're much more grateful for the for the possibility of sharing live music than we ever were before, because it's been deprived for quite a period of time. And, and there's nothing like that to make you appreciate something. And Peter, you knew Pittsburgh from a previous visit. Alina, had you heard us on recordings? How did you know about the work of the Pittsburgh Symphony? But of course, everybody knows the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. I mean, it's uh, it's one of the most uh, highly regarded orchestra in the world, orchestras in the world. So, I always admired. I always wanted to come here, and uh, I was very happy three years ago. And now I'm even happier to be able to do a concert. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's great to be here. And Peter, in the meantime, you've been in Toronto and had enormous success there. Uh, a, a greatest hit for you? Look at all the things you did, the recordings that were nominated and won awards, the tours you took. You took the orchestra to remote places in northern Canada. You did all kinds of interesting things. Yeah, we, we had a great time. It was 14 years. That seems to be my thing. I, I did 14 years in the Tokyo String Quartet and 14 years in the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. That's sort of my limit, it seems like. Yeah, but, but no, it was wonderful. Toronto's a great city. I happen to have been born there. I'm also a huge hockey fan. And uh, Pittsburgh has not a bad team. Um, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Great team. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, being in Toronto was, was absolutely fantastic. And, and we did do a lot of touring. Went to Carnegie a couple of times and to, went to Europe a couple of times. And I took the orchestra to Israel, actually, which they had never done and that was just fabulous. No, it was, it was a great experience. It's very hard work um, to be a music director. You have to be creative all the time and you have to figure out, you know, what to, what to deal with, what to focus on and how to try to keep inspiring the musicians to always, as the, as the hockey players like to say, to get a little bit better every day. Is it possible that I made it to an advanced age without knowing that you are related somehow to Eric Idle? Is that true? It is definitely possible that, that you have made it to that age. I, I would have had no control over that. <laughs> yes, he's, um, our, um, our mothers were sisters. Yeah, so he's my cousin. Yeah, and that's why, you know, we, we did this ridiculous project called Not the Messiah. He, he called me one day, you know, he'd done this, this Spamalot, this musical Spamalot. Um, and then he said to me, you know, I've just realized something, that Life of Brian doesn't make a good musical. And I went, okay, well, that's fine. And he said, no, no, but it makes a really good oratorio. And I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do now? This sounds just uh, uh, unbelievable. Right? And so he wrote this thing called Not the Messiah, which was performed all over the world. But I did the first five performances of it, and it, it, was, it was a riot. Amazing. They're all so incredible. I had a chance to meet... Graham Chapman, when he came to WQED many years ago, you know, they used to, because they were huge on public broadcasting in this country, they would go around and help with fundraising drives. It was unbelievable, particularly Graham, who had such a poker face. Oh, my goodness. But they were all so funny. I couldn't believe it. Um, very creative people and highly intelligent. You know, I mean, they'd all been to Cambridge or Oxford. And so they had this very sophisticated knowledge of many 
elements of history and philosophy and so on, and they 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 use that tremendously to their advantage by essentially mocking the sort of pseudo intellectuals. Okay, you two, you've got to get going. I know, so I have to say goodbye. Next time, I want to ask you to remember Benjamin Britten, since you worked with him. I got to talk to you about all your Hyperion recordings. You have an enormous catalog of amazing recordings you've made. Bravo to both of you. We'll look forward to seeing you this weekend. All the best. Thanks so much. Thank you very much.